Welcome to the wild. My name is Laura Branning. And my name is Nate Gant. We decided to come together with our knowledge and perspective. And expertise. On life before, during, and after. Divorce. Divorce. Dun, dun, dun. So, Laura, what are we going to talk about today? Oh, my goodness. So, part of all of this process is really exhausting. I will tell you, it is emotionally and mentally exhausting it, there's nothing like bringing up your hardest moments in life let's relive it mm-hmm. and talking about it and i think big picture that's why nobody wants to talk about it right you kind of it's even very similar to when people give birth like they forget about the bad parts right and i think that's a lot of what going through the, the divorce process is So we're really going back and kind of unpacking all of this therapy that we already did. And to to piggyback off what you've said, I'll never forget my first friend, his wife, him and his wife, they had their divorce. Or I'm sorry, not their divorce, their first child. And right after the baby was born, I was like, are you guys going to have another one? And it was like the dumbest dude moment of all time. And she looked at me and said, I just had a baby i don't know that i'm ever going to go through that again right because who wants to go through that again i mean i don't know i've never had a baby well but if somebody's it doesn't matter if you're a man or woman but if you haven't had a baby yourself you still ask that question sure i'm sure i did too okay positive but yeah it is it's grueling it's grueling to unpack that and to relive those memories that you hoped to never experience or think about Again. Yeah. So look at the sacrifice we're making. Speaking of sacrifice, we got new mics. So we sound better. Hopefully we sound better. Hopefully we sound better. Especially after the last episode. Such good content, though. We're learning. Yeah. Stick with us, folks. It gets better with time. You know, it's just like going into the wild. Okay. Go on. Go (laughs) on. Always learning. Learning new tricks every day. And I think that's more evident down the road. But the whole process, you know, once you have told the very close people by you, I also remember telling my kids and. That's a gut wrenching one. The parents are hard, but your kids are because now it's really real. It's, It's a thing. Yeah, it's really real. And the fact is you have to explain these really big feelings to little people in a way that they can understand. Sure. Do you remember that day? Oh, I I remember those moments. And it was, you know, you try to be a unified front and support your children. And I mean, one of my kids was like, how about I live with you? And then my brother and sister go live with dad. (laughs) When... (laughs) Well, and let's take a step back before we get too far. How old were your kids when you were having this talk with them? Oh, man. My daughter was not even two. And then, right, it was right before she turned two. And then, let's see. Oh, man. It was it was just really hard. And, and I'll tell you, my youngest was, had just turned two. Yeah. So it was similar. No idea what's going on. No yeah. clue. No idea. Uh, just wants to be around mommy and daddy and because that's how life had been 
Uh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that was definitely a tough one. Um, and then your other two, how old were they? Oh, gosh. I'm like, I'm trying to do the math right now, too. Um, For the sake of things, we can just guess. I know. <laughs> so we had like eight and six. Eight and he six. He was just before he was six. And I will or, say, in my case, no, my oldest right. was... Oh shoot! Now I'm gonna have to be the one doing the math. He he had just turned. He was getting ready to turn seven. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Getting ready to turn seven. So, so he was six. Yeah. So these little people trying to understand these huge big emotions, and it's literally the logistics of telling them where they're gonna be next. Um, what's that what that's gonna look like yeah i mean you have to even you don't have to you don't have to do anything but the way that mine was you know i happen to have like two sets of everything like two sets of the good sheets two sets of towels um two beds that he you know one he could take with him it wasn't anything that was pre-planned obviously but we had talked about manifesting before and i almost felt like wait a second, did I miss something? Did I create this environment that it was going to be okay? And wait, you know, am I even doing the right thing? I remember the day um, he actually moved out and there were moments where I sat there and I thought, wait a second, maybe we're doing the wrong thing. Uh, maybe he should just stay. And that was... Um, it was a gut-wrenching process. And if I just let my emotions take control I would have been all over the place that was that was tough the kids weren't there but you know and I tried to help I didn't want to seem like I was hovering sure were you talking about the day that he moved out yeah is that what you're talking about the actual day he moved out okay just just checking just kind of keeping us on track here okay um so you're talking about the day that he moved out yeah you didn't want to hover but you wanted to help the kids weren't there correct now had you already told the kids at this point yeah why don't we take a step back? Can you tell us about when you told the kids and what that looked like, how you told them? Yeah. I mean, so we both sat down, um, you know, had to have that serious talk, like that serious voice when you have to talk to your kids about something really big. And you don't really always have to do that. But, you know, if you want to have your kids listen, that was what I needed to do was basically get down to their level. Word-wise, um, even physically, like make sure I was sitting down. This didn't want to be something I was talking down to them with. So let's paint the picture. Was Did you do most of the talking or did your ex do most of the talking? We really split a lot of it. We needed to, for both of us, it was something that was important that I remember, I should say, you know, I can only speak for myself, but that we wanted to come across as a unified front, that that was not anything that the kids had done anything wrong, that there wasn't anything that they could do better to make us go back, but that this was going to be a big change in their lives. And so let's slow it down and break it down a little bit further. You, oh, it's so rough. Oh it, man. It is. And there's no joke that can skim over this. This is a big one. Right. This is the one that is when you have that talk with, cause I remember this day playing just as, plain as yesterday when you have that conversation with them i remember where we were sitting i remember what it was like outside yep 
so tell us that. Where were you guys at? Were you were you on the couch? Were you in yep. the the family room? We were both. That was actually it. We were sitting in the family room, um, couches. Um, I believe it was like a big overstuffed chair across from a big couch, trying to get the most um, kind of intimate setting with our children, knowing it was going to be rough information to hear. Both of our parents had split up, so we had heard those conversations. Um, it really brought me back to when my mom had told me that my parents were splitting. Now, this is going to be emotional for me. And it was like, this is what's going to happen. We we're driving down the road. And I still kind of even get that twinge when I drive down that portion of the road. When your mom told you. Yeah, when she told me that um, dad was going to be moving out and she still loved me. Nothing I had done was wrong. Life was going to be different. And let's go to Dairy Queen. And it sure. was like, what in the world? How do you, you still have to keep living. You still have to go move on to the next thing when, you know, all I wanted to do was grab my kids and hug them because I didn't want them to have to think about any of these little emotions or these big emotions in such little people. So let's skip back because we kind of went from like when you were told as a child yeah. and kind of bounced back and forth. When you told the kids, how did, how did you tell the kids? what what words were used oh man so this is i mean it's been quite this has been almost four years now it's part of the you know kind of forget the labor part of delivery you know they can't really understand that what love is between um a husband and wife they know what parent child love is well they know what child love they know what it's like to love a parent they know what it's like to love a parent so to say that we don't love each other anymore is a really big like it's a choice like i could choose to not love them anymore right trying to make it as simple as possible that uh, we were going to live in two different places and we didn't know what that was going to look like at that point um, we didn't know if it was going to be an apartment and a house if it was going to we were going to keep the house and then another parent was going to live in a different house. They were loved no matter where they were going to go. But that mom and dad just weren't going to be together anymore. Right. Exactly. And that, you know, it breaks their little hearts. So and that was the last thing I wanted to do. So your eight year old and your six year old, let's focus on them for a second. Yeah. What questions did they have? Um, They were really concerned, like what uh what toys they could bring you know sure. they wanted their creature comforts you know and i'm kind of trying to think back to you know they wanted to know what went wrong the why yeah they wanted to know that why they wanted to be they wanted to be treated like people sure um not necessarily like full adults but they wanted to be able to be given they basically didn't want a bullshit answer is the simplest way to put it it's just trying to listen to their needs and and navigate some muddy waters yeah some really muddy waters some sticky situation that it's difficult there's no there's no, no fun way to do it and there's no playbook yeah it's another one of those things that we don't have a playbook for so they had the basic questions that kids have and that boys have probably more so than 
than even little girls do. I don't know what questions little girls have because I don't have any. Well, and my little girl was so little that, you know, she didn't really know. The four of us, pardon me, the five of us, I say four, I'm so used to having it just me and my three kiddos now. But there I was sitting with my three kids, my now going to be ex across from me, you know, sitting on another couch, trying to entertain my almost two-year-old while answering these very specific questions from my two little boys. And they wanted to know things like, where are we going to sleep the next night? Where are our toys going to be? Who are we going to be with? You know, what does that day look like? And we didn't change everything at that moment. So it wasn't as though we were going to switch homes right then. But, you know, my ex slept in the basement and the kids wanted to be by me. They wanted to be by him. So they would sleep, go and try to sleep with him in in that bed to be around him and kind of have that camp feel almost. But they didn't want to leave me out either. So they had to struggle with the idea of keeping it even. Yeah, to keeping it even. They weren't going to choose sides. You know, here's their mom and dad, the two people that love them more than anything in the world. That was pretty difficult um, just to navigate because we I wasn't in a rush to get him out. Sure. Um, you know, with even with our local laws, you know, I didn't want him giving up any rights that he wasn't go- willing to, and I didn't think that was fair. You know, I didn't want to force him into any of that. And, and just not to interrupt here, but... Laura brought up something about local laws and Washington state law. If you're at a place, if you haven't talked to a, an attorney, you probably want to. Yeah. Um, just like we say, you you probably want to talk to a therapist and find one. You, you probably want to at least talk to one. Most attorneys will tell you that you shouldn't move out of the house. Right. Absolutely. And I think it was even something that if you were going to go through mediation, even, you know, just with any of those questions, go and talk to some sort of an expert. That's our expert advice. (laughs) Absolutely. As two people that have been realtors for long periods of time, you should find an expert. Yeah, exactly. So So, yeah, there we were trying to figure out how we were going to um, make sure our kids both felt, all three of them felt so loved from both of their parents while trying to physically split up the things in the house and this is an emotional time because here you are telling your children and now somebody's moving out or someone's moving to another part of the house yeah or you're even if that's your next day is you're both moving out and going to different places but yeah my situation was that yeah my ex was going to still be in the house at that time until he found a place and you know all of these different things had to happen it's tough it was part of that process we'd had that the snowball was starting to go down the hill and we needed to keep going with that and once you get to this place and I think more so than even telling your parents or your loved ones or people that you care about once you tell the kids it is now real like there is no other way to explain it this shit just got real Yeah. It's hard to go back on that one. Well, and I almost felt like I was telling my parents when I was telling my kids like this, like they were, they were disappointed. Yeah. They were truly disappointed because they don't experience a lot of divorce. They don't know what that means. They might hear it, hear the term every once in a while, but they don't know what that means. 
And they don't understand even really what love is. Right. So they don't understand anything more than a love they have for a parent or the love that they have for a brother and sister. And Lord knows that that goes up and down. Right. So this is this is all new to them. Extremely the new. Con- like the concept is foreign. Yeah. And that the concept that love is not unconditional is actually foreign to them, which is unique and pure. Absolutely. And it feels like you're taking away part of their childhood. Mm-hmm. They have to grow up really quick. This is a trauma for them. Yeah, it definitely is. My situation was different. And those of you listening, maybe your situation is different or could be different. You want to make it the least traumatic experience for everyone that you can. And since mine was just two years ago that I told my children with my ex, I I can, I remember sitting there on the couch in the living room and having the conversation with, with my oldest son and the youngest and my ex-wife. And, and I just remember that feeling of this is real. There's no really going back. And you can, you can go back if you mm-hmm. so choose, but it's it's more undoing. I had already moved into the guest bedroom in a, of our house. Yeah. And that's a story in itself that no one will ever hear, but that I was living in the guest bedroom is the best way to put it. Yeah. And had been for a couple of weeks by now. And what we were telling, especially my oldest, was that mom and dad still cared for them, still loved for them. Mom and dad still cared for each other. We would always be a family, but our family was going to look different. And especially for for my oldest, my parents are both still married. My ex-wife's parents are both still married. We were the first people really in our families getting divorced. And so this was absolutely a foreign concept. He had no clue what that looked like or what it meant. And honestly, I didn't either. Yeah. I didn't. I couldn't really wrap my brain around it. So that was a challenge for me as an adult. As a 38-year-old man, that was a challenge. But that went as as well as it possibly could. It went. I believe we both did the best that we could do in explaining it to our oldest son. Yeah. That was... So we went, we went through that. And, and essentially what we decided is that we had made the decision I was going to be moving out and I had a place to go to. Um, it just wasn't quite ready yet. So on the days that were going to be her days and we started off, we went every other day. So oh, she, wow. so she had the kids one day and then I would have the kids the next. You were just expected to not be involved or in the house while I was still living there while all that's going on. And I'll tell you from a legal standpoint, I was very cautious and careful because I had talked to an attorney at this point. Mm hmm. So I left a lot of things there. It probably I didn't change my mail. I didn't do anything like that. So probably legally I could still claim I lived in the house. Right. But I but reality is is that the days I did not have my kids, I didn't sleep there and I wasn't living in the house. Yeah. I still had a lot all my stuff there. I had enough for one day at that point to not not be there. Mhm. But that lasted for 2 weeks for us. Roughly 2 weeks. I would say it lasted about until June 1 of that year yeah of me so it was pretty quickly after there that i got my own place and moved into it and such i think it actually got spread a little bit farther is about three weeks of us doing one day on one day off and me still being in the house yeah we did the we stayed in the house together uh so kind of just ran our normal routine 
um, tried to at least almost be like ships in the night to not see each other. Sure. Um, kind of run that same routine. And, you know, here it was summer for us, middle of June or pardon me, middle of July. So then by the beginning of August, it was starting the new schedule. Um, yeah. I remember that first weekend of not having my kids. Man, that was gut wrenching. And I had, you know, friends would tell me, oh, aren't you so glad to be able to have your own time? Well, no, I, you know, I had three babies that I love dearly and they were my purest form of unconditional love. It is the question of, aren't you glad to have your own time is the same question of when are you going to have another baby? When a woman's just had a baby. Oh, right. It is like a ripping and a tearing from who you are as a person. I was not sure where you're going with that analogy at first. (laughs) But but that's what it is. Um, I felt felt really lucky and blessed that my ex-wife went out of town almost immediately for work, for a scheduled work trip. And so I had my kids all by myself for five days. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was the first time of me ever having two kids by myself for five days. I'd had my oldest son for nine days by myself once, but it was a new thing as a dad to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, having the boys all by myself and trying to make it work because it was harder. Before, I mean, I always had my oldest quite a bit where we did things by ourselves while mom stayed home with, with the little one. But to have them, the two of them, and them requiring both of my attention as two little boys. Right. It was intense. Well, and I remember when I would have them by myself, I thought, oh my goodness, I couldn't sleep because I wanted to make sure that I could hear them if they got up to go to the bathroom, needed some water, didn't feel good, needed my attention for any reason. But then I would be so wiped out the next day too. Right. And then when I didn't have my kids, I was listening for every noise too because I wasn't sure... I didn't have like that other person to um, hear a noise downstairs Hear, you know, it's not like somebody was going to break in. That wasn't really a threat, but I, I wouldn't have known. Sure. So I barely slept and it was, it was very, very hard for me. Did the stress, how did the stress of that affect you? Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Well, no, it's a I, question, not a point. It but. is. Well, it's a very great question. I really dove into work, but I tried to, because I wanted to feel useful. And I remember like feeling I was at my wits end. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I'm a pretty level-headed person. But suddenly the stress was getting to me too much. You know, I could only do so much yoga and take so many bubble baths. And at that point, I actually went into my doctor because I was getting hives on my legs. And these were stress hives. I could barely. So what's that look like? So I would barely touch my leg and it would like a shin or like, you know, my thigh or calf or anything. And it would anything I touched would turn into hives. And I thought I was going crazy. I literally thought I was going crazy. And so I went. You don't have to have stress hives to think you're going crazy at this point in your life. And I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about everybody feels that way. You're going crazy anyway. And then I thought, what is what is happening? Like my body's betraying me. I can't do anything. And I went into my doctor and um, I said, yeah, I think I have stress hives. And he's like, yeah, that's not really a thing. And 
this doctor, I'd, I'd seen him. Did you want to smack him? A little bit. Um, but mind you, I've seen this doctor since I was, goodness, maybe before elementary school. He had seen me. For was a, he a pediatrician? Pe- well, he was a family doctor. Okay. Okay. And. <laughs> it was just getting weird for feel, me. I know. I feel like I was Ross on Friends where he still saw his pedi- pediatrician right, as right. an adult man. No. A family doctor. You know, I said, I am just so stressed out. Um, I really need some stress hives. Mind you, I'd had this very you, similar. Wait, you just said you really needed some stress hives? Oh, my goodness. I really needed some a way to figure out my stress hives. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. See, it's not fun to unpack some of this stuff. Like, I, I can picture myself in the doctor's office that day. The other time that I had gone to him, I was very, very stressful at work, and it was... 10 years prior, um, I had worked at a local TV station. I was doing all these promotions and I went in telling him I was very stressed and I had high anxiety and he told me to get a hobby. At that point in my life, yes, in like my late 20s, that was the solution. I was really kind of worried he was going to say that again. So going in with these stress hives and I thought, please, if you tell me to get a hobby, I'm going to whoop you. I know. I am just going to lose my shit. It's really, and I thought, I'm, I am very composed. I can handle this. Finally telling my own pediatrician that I was getting a divorce. Like I had to confess it to him. Wow. I know. I thought, hey, I'm getting a divorce. And it, there was this look of absolute empathy and this epiphany on his face. Like, yep. Those are stress hives. <laughs> well, now it just became a real thing. Oh, man. It was like, thank you for the validation that I'm not going completely nuts. And I wasn't ready to take any big medication for it. I mean, I took a quarter of the medication that he prescribed me. It just, I didn't want to be dependent on anything. I mean, sure. I, I didn't even want to be dependent on any sleep aids. And this is a real thing that probably some of you or listening have been through experience or maybe maybe are right now i i also remember i remember that after we told the kids and i went to the guest room because i don't believe i had them that night and i was so exhausted and completely wiped out emotionally drained shot had nothing couldn't hardly walk or function and i got in bed and I couldn't sleep. And that was the first night that I went without sleep. Yeah. And I just kind of laid there, tossed and turned, tossed and turned, watched YouTube videos. I think that's the first time I started watching Tony Robbins because I oh, I'd yep. said, remember, uh, yep. Tony Robbins became a big deal to me. And I'll never forget waking up and it was 3.30 in the morning and I thought, crap, I fell asleep two hours ago. That was the last time I remember looking at my phone. A reminder popped up on my phone and I had uh, I had a, uh, a physical. I know my doctor well. He played on my golf team. His wife and my ex-wife were friends and I got to go in and see him. Yeah, you have, it's another person to have to tell. And he was would have been one of the first. And uh-huh. I knew he already knew, but I still have to tell him because I haven't told him and I haven't acknowledged it. And this story, I just remembered it just now. It's mm-hmm. one of those things that I hid. And I remember going in on no sleep. Whoever the girl is that comes in, they check your blood pressure, right? I she believe it's me. a nurse. 
I don't think it was a nurse. I think it was <laughs> somebody else. I don't medical assistant, something like something. that. Something. <laughs> She's very important. Um, Worked there. Worked she, at she, the doctor's office. Anyway, she checks my pulse, and I'm kind of nervous. I wanted to. I wanted to cancel, but chose not to. And she checks my pulse, and she said, "Oh gosh, you must live a really stress-free life." Your pulse is like 52 beats a minute. That's phenomenal. And I remember looking at her and just thinking, you have no idea. <laughs> well, and, and that she, point, the facade works. I didn't have a facade. I think I was numb. Well, that's, I think it's definitely a self-defense mechanism. Yeah, I was just... At a, that point. Yeah, and I remember looking at her and I was like, you know, that's funny you say that. It's been a pretty stressful couple of weeks. Yep. So I'm surprised by that. And she's like, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. <laughs> oh my God. I might not make it through the end of the month. Have, and had no idea. She had no clue based on my physical symptoms. My, mm-hmm. I had no physical symptoms. But honestly, I felt overwhelmed. And my doctor came in and we have this talk and I admit everything to him, even though he already knew because I knew his wife would have told him. He just said, I'm, I'm sorry, Nate. There's there's nothing wrong with you. I think it's just mental. And that's when I realized like mental health is a real thing. This is a real thing that I'm struggling with. This is a real thing that I don't know how much more I can take. Yep. But I also didn't want to go on the sleep aids. Right. And I also didn't want to become dependent upon something else. And he asked me if I felt, did did I need something for anxiety or depression? And I said, no, I think I'm going to be okay. It was honestly a complete lie. Yeah. Well, and I would use the anti-anxiety just to sleep. Like that sure. was it. It was take one right after you get home from work and take one right before you go to bed. I'm like, I get home from work and go to sleep because I would work. I had poured myself into work. So if I didn't have my kids, I didn't want to take anything when my kids were around because I wanted to be an, you know, an attentive, caring, loving parent. They could feel. Yeah. And I, that could feel exactly. And, you know, even when I would take my bubble bath at home by myself, I didn't want to have a glass of wine because... I was too worried something was going to happen. And I sure. was the I was the only parent around. I was the only adult to do the adulting. Sure. And I remember too even standing at the kitchen sink washing dishes and I thought kind of felt this pain, not necessarily pain, but felt something in my neck and I thought what in the world is going on? Now I have cancer. Here the year before I had lost my best friend to stage 4 cancer. And that was the only thing that made sense to me. So I'd gone in even for another appointment thinking, okay, please. For cancer? Yeah. For now I was going to have cancer. I had stress hives on anti-anxiety. Now I have cancer. I have to. And he literally prescribed me massages. I thought that's what my life has come to. I didn't use them. And I still kind of have this one knot in my neck. It's like my divorce knot. You should just get it cut out. I know. <laughs> Considered it many times. Oh, man. Yeah, just chop it off. And, but it also reminded me that mental health, like you said, it's funny that you say that at the same time because I knew I actually needed to do 
some sort of self-care and not some like active self-care, but even taking an hour out of my day, half an hour, 10 minutes out of my day just to breathe, just to not have to be worrying about laundry or the cats and the dog and everything because even that entire time so here I'm telling my kids that their parents are no longer going to live together and we're staying in the house that they'd lived in since they were born and well for my younger two um, but they'd been in it for a number of years seven years at that point and then one of our animals was getting sick Oh. And um, I had English Springer Spaniels, a black and white one, and uh, liver and white, so the brown and white. And I had gotten this dog when, before I had even had kids. So I, that was my first, my fur baby. And he just was not acting like himself and took him into the doctor, to the vet. And he ended up having stomach cancer. And here I was nursing a dog with cancer my children were at least familiar with it but it didn't make it really all that easier you know and it's so hard to really even be in that headspace of where I was when all of that happened um, it's one of those things that it happens and you really kind of try to forget it now I mean it wasn't a skill set I really wanted to hone in on and know how to do Nobody wants to be good at that. Nobody wants to be good at that. Yeah, this is, it's funny, even when I was thinking about when you hear the title of our podcast, Welcome to the Wild, this isn't the type of talk that you expect. No, and it's not the fun side of. It's not sexy. No, but yeah, of separation and divorce. It's the nitty gritty, that dark and twisty. Yep. So even having a friend that's going through it, it's hard to be there for someone or ask for help. Asking for help to go through any of that is so very difficult. But that was something that I knew if I didn't lean on my friend somehow, I mean, I would have been mad knowing my friends were struggling. Sure. So I wasn't very good at asking for help, but that was a skill set that I needed to work on. And we've talked about grieving before. And if you've ever experienced death of any kind, people will come to you and say, what can I, what can I do? And that's like, you ask that question and the person that's experiencing that grief and that loss, they have no clue of what to, of what they need. Yeah. They honestly don't. I know I didn't. Well, and going through the death of my best friend I knew to just take action. Sure. Even if it was just sitting with her or going in and cleaning her kitchen or whatever it may be. I mean, she had fantastic support, which was wonderful, but it wasn't a fact that I could always have the answers. Um, That's who I am, though. I'm kind of, I am that fixer. I'm the one who helps solve problems. So if we needed to, you know, cut her hair, shave her head. Um, You know, we shaved her head on my birthday. So here I had all of these different paths of helping someone else. And suddenly I was having something happen to me. And I almost felt guilty that it wasn't, it wasn't health related. It wasn't something physical that someone could see 
that I needed help with. I needed help processing trauma in my life. Sure. It's funny. We go through this and like we've said, this is a part of your story, everyone's story that you try to block out yeah. that you don't want to relive. And so I'm kind of unpacking this and I'm remembering things I'd absolutely forgotten. Um, so I'll skip back to the day that we told my kids. And like I said, that's the first night I didn't have my kids. She was going to have them that night. And so I left and I went to a good friend of mine's house. He lived right up the hill from me. We'd, he had gotten divorced 18 months before me or split up with his ex-wife. It's the only place I knew to go to. He had had a, his girlfriend who moved in with him, maybe five, his new girlfriend had moved in maybe five months before and wasn't a great person. Like just didn't give great advice, but I went to his house and I remember sitting there as the first time I actually met her and She's meeting me on one of my worst days of my life, right? And I look at my friend and I'm like, I just don't know what to do. And she said, I know what I would do. She said, I would get drunk and go give her a piece of your mind. And I remember the shock and the awe. Like, that's how the sheriff department ends up there. And I was lucky and that my friend looked at me and said, whatever you do, don't pick up a bottle. You have to feel all of this. And this is part of that mental capacity of, of having someone say it's terrible and it's painful, but you have to feel this experience. Yeah. You have to feel it so that you understand it, that you're able to navigate it. But people that don't know any better will tell you this is the time to numb it out and to run away from it. Yeah. But you can't. You can't if you're going to take that next step in life. Yeah, to be able to heal and grow from it, um, you know, it's not pleasant. It's not fun. And you don't know what is up and what is down. But being able to just be present in the situation, um, you know, mine manifested as stress hives on my legs. Sure. That was, oh, man, that was so hard. And I knew I was stressed with work. I knew I was stressed with kids, but here my life was completely changing. So I wasn't sure what to do with that. And nobody's sure what to do with yeah. it. Um, yeah, that was, I remember that next day that I had my children and it felt somewhat normal yet different. Because remember, I was one day on, one day off for, for for maybe a month. Three weeks, a month. Yeah, three yeah. weeks, a month, something like that, um, until I fully moved into my new place. And I think then we went two days on, two days off. But I remember two days after, or the next day I didn't have my kids, I went with the same friend, the one that said, no, don't listen to my girlfriend. Don't pick up a bottle. Um, and he was training for his first triathlon. He was going for a swim. And he said, just ride with me. Just ride with me and come with me and be with me during this time because you don't need to be by yourself. But he took that action of saying, you can't be alone. Just ride with me. Just be with me during this time. And that's when I was given the advice of, he asked me, he said, have you called the divorce attorney? So that's when I actually placed that call. It was like a Friday night. And I made that call at, seven o'clock on a Friday night. And if you know anything about divorce attorneys, 
that's when they make their money because typically that's when you get served paperwork is on a Friday night later in the evening. It's very common that you get served with divorce attorneys. I did not know that. I learned this on this call. Oh, there you go. And he was sitting in my, the attorney that I spoke into had was sitting in, had just played a hockey game. He was sitting in the locker room drinking a beer and he said, what's up? Nobody calls me at this late at night unless it's for, on a Friday, unless it's for one reason and one reason only. But that was the next step. And I had to have somebody, even though I knew that's what I should do, I need to at least make that call and that, get that consult. Yes. To set up a consult, really, to say this is my guy. If anybody, if she wanted to get the same attorney I did, um, we set that up. And I started that process, but I needed that friend to push me to the next level to protect myself, to protect my interests, to protect, um, you know, potentially somebody trying to take away my kids. And there's no way around it. My my ex-wife didn't, but just in case. So I think that really kind of makes that come full circle in the idea that you need to surround yourself with friends. Um, So we've even if you have a friend that's going through a separation, a divorce, a trauma of any kind really is just to be there with them. You may not have the answers for them. They're not, you don't, yeah, you you don't have the answers for them. Yeah. And they're not necessarily looking for answers because if they've come to that point where they're at a separation or, you know, looking at divorce down the bar, you know, it's, They've done the soul searching already. You know, you're at your wits end. You don't know what's up, what's down. So having a friend just come and sit with you to say, hey, just ride your bike next to me, whatever, is a huge, um, those small little actions are really, really big to the person in that moment. Yeah, they're life-changing. That's what keeps you on track and keeps you moving forward or gives you the possibility to move things forward. Well, and it makes your world a little bit bigger because at that time when you are telling your kids you're moving out, your world almost becomes very small. Uh, These are very amplified emotions. It's an amplified time. But being able to surround yourself with people that you trust and know you're loved with is very important. So yeah, that being said, there's so many things I know I've kind of forgotten about at that point. Um, I stuffed that stuff away. I felt the feelings and let them go. Definitely. And I think you have to, otherwise you can't, you can't move forward if you keep hanging on to those things. And I think that's one thing for us to remember is that you forget because honestly, that's what's best for you down the road after you felt them to let them go yeah well and knowing if i've had a friend that's going through a separation or thinking they're having trouble in their relationship even if they're just dating someone and they're going through troubles i just try to be there for my friend because i don't have the answers i don't know the full story half the time you know they're trying to figure out the story themselves so just it comes back down to trying to figure out what the truth is. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. those are conversations that many times as dudes, we don't carry them on. Yeah. We so. just move on or we just move something different. But that's an entirely different show. Yeah. There's probably two or three <laughs> different shows there. One on triggers, one on. Oh, my goodness. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
But, oh man, so that's kind of where we're at with unpacking the telling the kids and, and moving out. Um, and I bet you folks, next our next episode will be a little bit lighter. Yep, we're hoping for that. This has been exhausting. Yeah, it's been two <laughs> solid episodes of a lot of unpacking. So we'll keep it light next time, and I'm sure you'll hear a funny story or two and lots of laughing on yes. the next episode. Oh, man, alive. I'm ready for that. So, yeah, there we are with telling the kids and moving out. But remember to find us on Instagram at WTTWpod for Welcome to the Wild podcast and on Facebook as Welcome to the Wild podcast. And like us share us yep on spotify soon to be itunes maybe we already are on yep. itunes there we I go that's the that's the whole plan so anyways yep thanks thank you. guys yep thank you so much